I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Action Network Podcast. If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. And welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. I'm Sean Zarilla, joined today by Billy Ward. We're going to help you break down the very early morning UFC card going down at the Singapore Indoor Stadium in Singapore starting at 5 a.m. Eastern time. Seven prelims, six main card fights. This is an early one. Kegs, eggs, and broken legs. Always love the early Saturday morning fights. Billy told me he's going to wake up, smoke a brisket, and enjoy his day. And I think that's a great plan. See what I have planned for tomorrow morning. We're going to be drinking at 7 a.m. with breakfast or not. But in terms of the main event, Max Holloway, a massive favorite over the Korean Zombie, TKZ, Chan Sung Jung. Could be a retirement fight for Jung. This is his 10th consecutive main event. Probably a record for a non-champion in the UFC. So certainly, you know, speaks to his level of star power. Max Holloway, obviously one of the most popular fighters in the sport, one of the biggest stars in the UFC. In terms of betting this matchup and betting Max Holloway as a significant favorite, a minus 800 favorite, minus 750, the best available odds out there. That's basically where I projected the line. It's hard to get beyond that kind of pricing because you're getting to slipping on a banana peel type of territory when you get to that level of pricing in a high-level MMA fight. I think Max Holloway certainly deserves to be this big of a favorite. I don't really see where Jung beats him aside from landing essentially a flash knockout. But Holloway, the much faster hands, the much better athlete, especially at this stage of their respective careers. I think Korean Zombie, who's basically fought one time a year for the past five or six years and seemingly has regressed in his recent fights. I just think another year off. A bit slower, a bit more cage rust where Holloway coming off of a win over Arnold Allen going to continue to look sharp. And he's basically wiped out the rest of the division aside from his three losses to Alexander Volkanovsky. So on the feet, I think Holloway wins clear minutes, clear volume advantage. And I think his hand speed is going to prove too much. And similar to that Volkanovsky fight against TKZ, could see Holloway winning via attritional finish, just an accumulation of damage that is being unreturned on the other end. If Zombie wants to win this fight, I think he needs to grapple. And I think he needs to do so successfully like he did in his fight against Dan Ige. Needs to hit takedowns, get top control, win minutes with top position, or as I said, land a flash knockout. We've actually seen Holloway's chin starting to crack just a little bit, knocked down for the first time in his career and his loss to Volkanovski. Clipped, wobbled multiple times in his fights against Yari Rodriguez, Arnold Allen. So maybe the chin for Holloway starting to go just a touch. He's absorbed an average of about 130 strikes 
in each of his past nine fights. So tons of damage worn throughout his career. One of the most durable athletes in the sport, some of the best cardio in the sport too. And that's why I don't really see many paths for TKZ to win this fight and would justify Holloway as a substantial favorite. But in terms of how I want to bet this matchup, Holloway inside the distance at minus 125. Also his knockout prop at minus 115, I think are five bets. Fine bets projected those closer to about minus 150 and minus 135 respectively. So Holland's fin or Holloway's finish props would expect a later finish around three or four or five, like I said, with the cumulative damage. But just think the athleticism gap between these two is pretty substantial at this stage of their respective careers. Billy, are you playing this main event at all? And how are you uh, anticipating, uh, you know, getting things started tomorrow morning? Yeah, you know, you've almost talked me into the main event with your point. But yeah, as you mentioned, definitely going to wake up early, get the smoker going. It'll be nice. Get some fights out of the way, be done by noon, get to go spend some time doing anything else on a Saturday. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the star power of Chan Sung Jung. And there's kind of two ways to become a star. You can become a star because you are so good and so exciting. Or you can be a star because you make your opponent look so good and so exciting. And Chang Sung Jung kind of falls in that second category, right? Like the zombie nickname is just because he absor absorbs hellacious beatings and keeps moving forward, which is a just horrible matchup for Max Holloway, the UFC's all-time significant strike leader. He's almost doubled up the next closest person in career significant strikes. He's at like 3,200, and number two is 1,800. It wouldn't shock me to see him hit zombie 200-plus times in this one significantly. So... If there was, you know, outlets you had where you can take some player prop style stuff and take the over on significant strikes, I don't know how a book could set this high enough that I would be on the opposite side of that. But I get your angle on the stoppage. I just worry that Holloway doesn't, not only does he not have a ton of power, but he doesn't really try to knock people out. He's just trying to touch you as many times as he can. With it being likely the last fight for Korean Zombie, you know, does he power through? Do the refs and the doctors give him a little bit more leeway than they probably should? That scares me just enough that I wouldn't take the knockout prop until we got to maybe plus money. And you mentioned the grappling. I think if that happens, it's probably going to come early. It's just hard to grapple down the stretch after getting hit 100 times. So if we could catch Holloway live at minus 300, minus 400 after a round or two, I'd be interested. I don't see it getting much better than that unless he almost gets knocked out like right off the bat. So those are a couple ways I'm looking to play it, but... This is one more just going to enjoy it. Love it for DFS. Max Holloway is going to score a million points no matter what scoring system you're using. So that's more my my interest this week. Billy, I'm a little disappointed. You know, we've been doing these podcasts for a while, and I feel like I have a good feel for your betting style. I'm disappointed that you didn't have a round four or five or decision prop. This seemed like a perfect queued up play where Holloway is going to land a ton of volume. And I think the finish does come later if it comes at all. And the decision equity bakes into that bet too. Was the was the price just too juiced or it just not a bet that interested you it, for this fight? It's too juiced because he's, I want to say like minus 500 to win by decision or something crazy like that. So you have to then get a worse line than that when you get rounds four and five as well. So it's, I haven't looked recently. It's probably plus EV if I wanted to run the numbers on what I think was going to happen. I'm just not going to be in the business of laying three, four, 500 odds on almost any MMA fight make that a parlay piece sure if you know you're interested in doing some parlays that would be an excellent piece a little bit better juice than if you played him straight up but as a solo bet it's it's a lot let's move on to our fight of the night the co-main event between Ryan Span and Anthony Smith a rematch from a couple of years ago Span the minus 130 favorite here when they ran this fight as a main event on a UFC fight night back in September of 2021, Smith closed as a minus 130 favorite. That was a five-round fight. The five-round fight certainly favored 
Smith more so than a three-round fight does. But Ryan Spann, generally speaking, is an early finisher. And when those early finishes don't materialize, his opponents tend to take over the fight with better cardio. I think that's the biggest advantage that Anthony Smith has here, or maybe the two biggest advantages, durability and cardio. But I think in recent fights, it's pretty evident. And since their last fight, it's very evident that Anthony Smith's athleticism has dropped off to a fairly significant degree, underwent surgery for his knees. So I actually think in this fight, and this is a bit of an odd take, but looking at Ryan Spann's recent career history, the guys he's fought, I think his decision equity is being a little bit underrated here. And, you know, people tend to think Ryan Spann, early finisher bust, but against a potentially declining athlete like Smith, who is durable, who can take a punch, who will stick around. I actually think Spann has the potential to just be the much bigger hitter to win very clear minutes, at least for the first seven or eight minutes before Smith potentially takes over down the stretch for the final or for the second half of the fight. So, Looking at the guys that Ryan Spann has fought recently, obviously Smith, but Nikita Krylov, Dom Reyes, Misha Serkinov, Johnny Walker, these are all guys with a very similar archetype as Ryan Spann, early finishers who tend to fade. But the last time he went against somebody relatively durable, other than Smith, was Sam Alley. That fight went to a decision, and he's won a couple of decisions in his career. So Ryan Spann, by decision, a plus 1,300. Absolutely a bet. My favorite prop squad pick for this week i made this closer to plus 900 you look at the offshore markets this prop is used much closer to plus 900 than the domestic markets at plus 1300 so i I think ryan span can absolutely win a decision here maybe even some decision only bets as well so you don't lose your bet in the event that it does go to 15 minutes or in the event that it ends inside the distance but if it goes all 15 minutes i think the pricing discrepancy for smith by decision versus span by decision is actually a little bit overweight towards smith and i think Span's chances of winning a decision are a bit underrated here. So, Billy, I know you like Ryan Span as well. I doubt that you expect him to win by decision, but at plus 1,300, you don't really need him to win at a high clip in order to cover that bar. Tell me why you like Ryan Span as they run this match back. No, I love the decision line. I messaged you earlier in the week that his inside the distance was like five cents off his money line, which is just insane. Like, I get why it is, but anyone can win a decision. Stuff can happen. Guys can survive. But no, I, I think Anthony Smith is just physically shot, especially since that broken leg in the Ankalaya fight. Looked horrible against Johnny Walker. Like, just looked like he was moving underwater, just never really got it going. And then, you know, I know a lot of people probably didn't watch this, but he competed against Glover Teixeira in a Fight Pass Invitational grappling match. And if you didn't know who these people were, you would have sworn Anthony Smith was the older retired fighter while Glover Teixeira was the younger, more active guy. And that's scary against someone with the physicality of span, you know, massive power, really fast, strong, all the physical tools. I love your angle and I'm actually going to sprinkle on that too, but the money line at minus 130, I don't want to get cute. Could he catch him in a guillotine because Anthony Smith takes a bad shot? Of course, knockout probably the most likely just because he blitzes him but I get your decision angle as well. So my main bet will just be the money line, but do love where you're going with that because he's tough enough to survive, but might not have the physical, Anthony Smith, that is, is tough enough to survive, but probably doesn't have the physical tools to make it too competitive anymore. I believe all of Span's finishes have occurred in the first seven minutes of his fights as well. As I said, he does gas out, but if if Smith can survive that first seven minutes, I actually think this one has a decent chance of going to a decision. So if you're betting this fight to end inside the distance, I'd go with the under one and a half as opposed to betting the juiced up fight ends ITD. Uh, maybe Smith round two, round three props would be how I'd play Smith. Smith live after round one 
is probably the only way I'd bet the underdog in this fight. But yeah, Ryan's fan, I do think the price flipping based off of the athleticism gap that has clearly grown since the last fight and also the fact that this is a three-round fight instead of a five-round fight, I think both of those factors certainly help Ryan Span. So Billy going with Ryan Span on the money line, I'm taking him by decision at plus 1,300. That will be in my round robins. I'm going to sprinkle that for about a tenth of a unit as well. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's move along here to our favorite underdog bets. We've got a consensus underdog, Billy. I'm going to let you go ahead and take this one away. Tell me why we both like Lucas Breschke for Saturday night. So sometimes I'm betting on a fighter because I think they're good or think they bring something skill set wise. And other times I'm just betting against their opponent. And this is one of the latter ones. I think Waldo Cortez Acosta is kind of lucky to be in the position he's in record wise. He's, I want to say two and oh, two and one in the UFC, but he beat Chase Sherman and Jared Vandera, both fairly low level, boring decisions. He's a former baseball player. And like, normally you say baseball isn't his base, but he actually kind of punches like he's pitching a baseball, which is interesting. And, but there's a reason we don't see like anyone else doing that. And then he was really exposed against Marcos Rogerio de Lima in the last one. So it's not so much that I'm that big on Lucas Bresky, who I think is at best a low to mid-level UFC heavyweight, but he fought some tougher guys. He's 0-2, lost a split decision to Martin Budai, unanimous decision to Carl Williams, who took him down the whole time. Cortez Acosta isn't going to grapple. And this fight is fairly likely to go to a decision, which is rare for heavyweight fights. And, you know, systemically, we always talk about this. If we think a decision is likely to happen and one guy's plus 200, that's the ticket I want in my hand when they're reading the scorecards. I don't want that heavily juiced line. So really nothing about Lucas Bresky that I'm super excited about. But there's a big fade for me on Cortez Acosta as a minus 250 or so favorite against almost anyone at this point. Well, Billy, you know, you take the boxes that we talk about underdog in a fight that used to go to decision. And frankly, for heavyweight minus 125 to go to a decision, I would say is heavily favored to go to a decision. Heavyweight fights end inside the distance close to 70, 75 percent of the time. So getting minus money on a heavyweight fight to go to a decision indicates that I think it's pretty heavily favored to go to a decision relative to the divisional average. Breschke uh, lost a split decision to Martin Budai. I was on Budai in that fight. He outlanded Budai 2-1 to one on strikes. That probably should have gone Breschke's way. He was then taken down, as he said, in his next fight by Carl Williams, out-wrestled. He has the wrestling advantage in this fight. And all of the grappling upside, Cortez Acosta taken down by Rogério de Lima, also taken down by Chase Sherman. That is is pretty telling for me. I think Breschke can absolutely grapple him here. 
all of the grappling upside. And if Breshke is not going to get grappled himself, like he was against Williams, I think the striking is at a minimum 50-50, if not would favor him on the feet. So have no idea why Breshke is the underdog in this spot. Absolutely my favorite underdog in the card. Maybe even my favorite money line bet on the card. As I said, all of the grappling upside and the striking at worst, I think is 50-50. So Lukas Breshke here, a consensus underdog play for me and Billy. I'm going to give out one more Jarno Aarons in the first fight on the card. Again, I think another fight where the striking is essentially 50-50, and Aaron's probably has the grappling upside. I don't expect him to necessarily pursue it, but you do look at his record. He has a number of submission wins on there. Sung Woo Choi is a good boxer, but he's shown significant durability concerns in his recent fights. He's getting clipped in fights that he's winning. He's a, Like I said, he's a very good boxer. He tends to win minutes. He puts up good volume, but he's getting clipped in every single one of these fights now. And it's a big concern, and he can definitely lose rounds that he's on the way to winning just by getting clipped and knocked down. And as I said, Aaron's retains all of the grappling upside in this matchup, too. So a couple underdogs for me, Aaron's and Breshke, who I think can keep the striking competitive at a minimum and retain all of the grappling upside at plus money. You know, we talk frequently if we think it's going to be a decision, we like to have underdogs. I think there's a corollary to that where if we think it's going to be a mostly striking fight, it's almost always better to have underdogs Mm -hmm. because it's a lot easier for judges to tell who's winning in the grappling. And when we think it's going to be a reasonably close striking fight, even if, you know, one fighter looks a little bit better, those get judged incorrectly all the time. And unless someone's getting knocked down or cut up real badly, you could almost flip a coin on a lot of these striking only bouts. And even if one fighter lands 10 or 20 more strikes, that doesn't mean the judges see that. They don't see the stats. They're not counting along. So both of your picks kind of reference that to an extent. And I think that's something that systemically we should be looking at as well. Absolutely. And that's why I'm going to take the guy who, you know, in theory has grappling upside. All I need him to do is hold the fight up against the cage for one minute out of the five minute round and just land a couple of clinch strikes. And if the rest of the round is competitive, you know, the judges might say, okay, well, he had that one minute of control time and some clinch strikes that might be enough to separate it. So just mixing up the martial arts, I think is important sometimes and just, you know, doing more being well-rounded, giving your opponent more looks, but also giving the judges, you know, more optics that you're actually trying to find different ways to win the fight. And instead of just, you know, basically standing there and sparring for 15 minutes, you know, being the guy who's trying to mix it up, pushing forward, I think certainly helps and what could be a 50-50 round. So you make some very good points there, Billy. Let's move on to our favorite props and a fight that I expect to be competitive too. Another fight that we could just stop and talk about here for a second. Giga Chikaze against Alex Caceres. I think this is a good underdog spot. I think you would disagree with that. Uh, Very interesting fight though here in this division. Billy, go ahead and break down this fight for me and tell me how you want to bet it. As I said, this is our favorite prop. So you might be able to tell where Billy's going. Yeah, so my favorite way to bet this fight is actually Giga Chikadze live for a couple reasons. One, we've got some cage rust issues. He's been out of the cage for, I think, close to a year and a half at this point. And with guys like that, it doesn't really shock me when they start kind of slow. You know, you come out, you're just getting your feet back under, you're getting used to being hit, getting used to the lights, all that stuff. So I expect Caceres to have his best moments early in the fight. But the other reason is stylistically Caceres has a real long wide like traditional martial arts stance that leaves him open to getting leg kicked really frequently and Giga might have some of the best overall kicking game in the division that's always something that you're probably not going to win any fights in the first round with leg kicks but you land five six seven the first round six seven more in the second round all of a sudden you look like a minus 1000 favorite down the stretch 
So in terms of if I'm making a pre-fight bet on that, it's Chikadze in round three or by decision at minus 115. But what I'm really looking for is a competitive first round. Maybe Caceres deals it with some grappling. And I'm guessing you're going to talk about the grappling upside for Caceres, which he has some, but he's not an offensive wrestler. He has really good submissions. He developed his submission game because other people kept taking him down and he needed a deterrent or a way to win in those situations. I don't see him having the wrestling ability to get Giga to the ground unless Giga slips on a kick or some other stuff, which isn't extremely unlikely, but also feeds into my pick where I think that's more likely to happen early than it is late as Giga tightens up and starts to pull away down the stretch. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a very solid breakdown. Uh, So my concern with Giga and the Giga live entry would be that I've never loved his cardio. Now, if Caceres is trying to pursue takedowns and not able to get them, I think that certainly is going to even the cardio out very quickly interesting points about the cage rush you're right i mean giga coming back first fight since january 2022 and he also took an absolute beat down at the hands of calvin cater in that matchup chin was probably very close to getting cracked almost put out near the end of that fight eight a million elbows his face was absolutely sliced to shred so curious to see what the scarring looks like on his face after that one because he might look like the uh you know the old hockey goalies before they used to wear masks after eating all of those elbows but Yes, as you mentioned, Alex Caceres does retain all of the grappling upside in this fight. And when Giga has faced guys who have had to grapple him or try to grapple him, that's when he's fought to split decisions or lost fights. His Dana White contender series fight against Austin Springer, choked out, rear naked choke, made it to the UFC, fought Brandon Davis, taken down three times, split decision win, fought Jamal Emers, taken down twice, split decision win. Then he faced a bunch of guys who were willing to strike with them, knocked them out, uh, you know, basically won on his title run, beat Edson Barbosa, till he finally faced Calvin Cater, who took him down in the first round, beat him up, tired him out, and then the fight progressed from there. But basically, as I said, anybody who's taken down Giga or at least threatened to take him down has either beat him or gone to split decision with him at the UFC level. So don't actually expect, as you said, Billy Caceres to land takedowns. I don't think he's a good offensive wrestler but I do think he's going to get the back at some point. And that's what you got to watch out for. Giga does give his back both standing and when he's trying to stand, if he gets taken down. So if, if Caceres is able to land a takedown, maybe he's not able to hold it, but I do think he can switch to a back take as Giga looks to get back up. Or if they're in a clinch position up against the fence, I think Caceres is going to look to switch to a back take from there as well. So yes, very much agree. Don't think Caceres has huge wrestling upside here but he does have the grappling upside. And I think the potential for back takes is very strong. So if he wins a 50-50 round one, gets a back take in the second or third round, this is definitely his fight. But in terms of how I want to bet this, yes, I'm sprinkling a little bit on Caceres' money line at two to one, but I actually think his submission or decision double chance prop at plus 290 is a better way to go about playing it. I think there's too much knockout equity, TKO equity, baked into his line, has that recent head kick knockout. He is not a power puncher whatsoever though if he's going to get a knockout here or an official tko win it's going to be as a result of submission that that giga doesn't tap out to that results in a tko injury or a positional tko via you know stoppage on the ground where he's in mountain basically pounding him out and giga doesn't roll and give up his neck so that's how i think caceres wins the fight by knockout i think those possibilities are pretty low and i think the discrepancy between his plus 200 money line and his plus 290 submission or decision double chance prop is a bit too wide. I think you would probably agree with that too, Billy. I do. And and I'm 
what I'm about to say is actually not like trying to rebut your bet. I, I think the likeliest way this gets to the ground is Giga slips on a kick. Like we see mm-hmm. him do it sometimes. He he kicks very aggressively. Caceres is tall, so he's got to stretch a little bit higher on those head kicks. That's not the craziest thing, I think, here. But I do agree. And also, just if he tries to stand and trade with Chikadze, he's just going to die. So, yeah. you know, like we're not going to expect a knockout in a situation like that where he's a huge underdog in the striking. Yeah, I'm a bit wonky on like the ghost to decision or ends inside the distance here. I'd lean to the ghost to decision, but I really do think one back take might be enough for Caceres to finish it with a choke. He is a very good rear naked choke. And as you said, on the feet, I think there's a huge discrepancy in terms of the impact of the striking. Giga has that beautiful body kick that he seems to put out a lot of people with. And that's just sort of like a roll of the dice that you can't really predict. Caceres, though, tends to be very defensively sound and very careful in terms of how he approaches the striking. So could see a bit of a tepid striking pace, but I also think there's going to be moments where this gets very close to a finish and is going to be hairy. So that's that's why I kind of stayed away from the total in this matchup. Um, and then, you know, I just want to mention before we move on that submission or decision double chance prop, I'm also playing Parker Porter in his fight the exact same way. I think Porter's knockout is too far baked into his money line against Hoffa. I think it's a very similar matchup to this one where there's a clear striking advantage for the favorite, but I think the underdog has a chance to either grapple or win minutes down the stretch. So Parker Porter submission or decision, Alex Caceres submission or decision, my favorite props for Saturday, Billy going with Giga Chikad's round three or by decision. Uh, and Billy, you had one more as well with Nakamura, right? Yeah, going with my prop squad style pick, Rinya Nakamura plus 600 by submission. He's, depending on the book, roughly even money to win this fight in by submission in round one, I should say. He's roughly even money to win this in round one, but he's like much more heavily lined to win it by knockout in round one than he is by submission, which doesn't make a ton of sense to me because he's the Japanese Bo Nickel. He was the under 23 world champion in wrestling. He was going to compete in the Olympics before it got canceled, switched over to MMA. Yes, there's a significant chance he finishes with a TKO on the ground, but his A++ skill is his wrestling. You know, guy gives his back, gets choked out. That should be a lot closer to the knockout line than the plus 600 we're seeing right now. So a little bit sprinkle on that. It's going to be my prop squad pick this week. Billy, did you hear somebody else say that he's the Japanese Bonickel this week, or is that just like kind of the comp you made on him? I have said that a few different times in a couple different places this week. I don't know that I've heard anyone else said it, but it's definitely been in my brain. But he is. I mean, he's ridiculously athletic lefty with elite wrestling. Like, I, you know, I, I haven't tuned into any other content this week. I, you know, frankly, I haven't read or seen anything you've done. This is the first time we've talked about the fights this week. It's literally what I have in my notes. This kid is the Japanese Bo Nickel. So yeah. I'm glad that we've arrived at the same comp. On him, he's a freak. I mean, he's a freak athlete. We see a lot of these Japanese mixed martial artists come over. Uh, Tatsuro Taira, for example, Horiguchi, don't have the most physically imposing physiques. They're more grapplers, but a bit noodly. Nakamura is an insane athlete. This kid hits like an absolute truck. Uh, I think he's an absolute potential future champion and maybe the best Japanese mixed martial artist ever. I think he legitimately has that ceiling. This kid isn't an absolute freak athlete. So the way I'm betting that fight, Nakamura Garcia under one and a half rounds at minus 160. It is juiced up. Nakamura is about even money, as Billy said, to win in the first round. I think he's minus 300 to win inside the distance. If you try to same game parlay Nakamura in the under one and a half rounds where you're able to do that, it actually gives you a return of minus 180. So you're better off betting 
the under one and a half rounds straight up, then you are playing a same game parlay with Nakamura in the under one and a half rounds. If he wins inside the distance, I think it's going to be in the first seven and a half minutes. So minus 160 on that under one and a half. Billy taking round one sub at a much juicier plus 600. I'll probably put that on my round robin tickets this week, Billy. I like that angle. Uh, let's move to our best bets. And we're both going to give out a best bet from the same fight. Probably my favorite fight this week in terms of, you know, projecting fighters for where they're going to go in the future in terms of a matchup between top 15 contenders. Aaron Blanchfield, the New Jersey native against Talia Santos, who lost her split decision title fight against Valentina Shevchenko the last time that she was in Singapore. And I think that is actually a bit of an underrated aspect for this matchup. The fact that Santos going right back to Singapore fighting on the same body clock schedule that she did previously. This is her first fight since then. So she has had the long layoff. Blanchfield has been more active in that time. Blanchfield, the younger fighter, showed really good striking, improved striking in her win over Jessica Andrade. I think Blanchfield is the future champion. I think Santos, though, in her own right, should already be the champion, if not could be a future champion as well. So curious to see the trajectory of Santos's career coming off of that loss, whether her motivation to get back into the title picture is still there. We know Aaron Blanchfield as motivated as anybody in the division to wear UFC gold around her waist. Billy, I'm going to let you go ahead and give out your side. But in terms of my favorite bet for this fight, I'm playing it to go to a decision at minus 220. I know it's heavily juiced up. I made this line closer to minus 250, though. And I think both have good enough defensive jujitsu to essentially deny one another. And they're both durable enough and have good enough cardio for a three-round fight to just keep this a very competitive 50-50 scrap where I don't really see the finish equity particularly high on either side. But Billy, you're taking a firmer stance with the side on this fight. I am. And you stole a little bit of thunder here when you said she should be the champ. I was about to refer to her as the lineal UFC flyweight women's champ, somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. That is Santos. But no, I think there's a bit of recency bias here with this line making Santos the underdog just because we haven't seen her fight since she basically beat Valentina Shevchenko. I'm going with Santos's money line at plus 125. It makes me sad. My daughter who's doing jujitsu now and I watch all of Aaron Blanchfield's fight. She's like the house favorite fighter right now, but I, I don't think it's her time yet. I think Santos is just a little bit better at this point. You mentioned Blanchfield being younger, which normally we like, but she's only 24. Santos is 30 or 31. I think Santos is closer to her prime than Blanchfield right now. Santos should have a big striking edge. But what really stood out to me is the way that Blanchfield gets her takedowns is by generally she rushes in with punches, initiates a clinch, then get trips and throws. Santos has a very good Muay Thai style clinch where she can win some of those clinch grappling exchanges and probably not get taken down so easily against Blanchfield. And Santos is also a very adept counter striker. So if Blanchfield is rushing in trying to force the clinch, she can step back, kind of slide out of range, do a little bit of Ian Gary, Sean O'Malley type stuff where she uses that length and range to snipe from the outside. If it does get to the ground, Blanchfield is favored, but I think Santos has a strong enough game to just not get immediately tapped. And then if she's winning the striking, that's all you need, right? Because the damage is so heavily prioritized on the scoring. I do think it likely goes to a decision. If it does, I kind of want the woman who's landing more strikes rather than the one who's desperately trying to get takedowns, getting a minute or two of control time, and then getting punched on the feet. I, I am worried, though. You mentioned Blanchfield's striking progression. Looked so much better against Andrade than even the fight before that. She's 
almost, I shouldn't say almost certainly, because that's tempting fate, but she's a very likely future champion. I'd love to see these two rematch for the belt in two or three years, because I think one of them ends up having it. Probably whoever wins this one is the next champion at flyweight. Yeah, this is a great fight. Um, You know, as you said, Billy, I think Santos being in her physical prime, she's just going to be the stronger fighter here. And I think that might be enough to deny the takedowns. It might be even be enough to get her offensive takedowns. I think the the fight that's most concerning for me was Aaron Blanchfield's effort against J.J. Aldrich, where she ultimately won, I believe, by second or third round finish. But she was taken down twice in that fight and wasn't able to land takedowns of her own. And she sort of struggled with Aldrich's size. She's short. She's only 5'4". Santos is the bigger fighter. But also the upper body takedowns that Aldrich hit in that fight are the similar types of throws that Santos goes for. So I actually think it's possible that Santos gets takedowns in top time here too. Um, so, you know, the fact that it's heavily juiced to go to a decision, taking the plus money, I agree. I wanted a better Aaron Blanchfield here. I'm with you, Billy. I'm a big fan of Aaron Blanchfield. I'm from the Northeast. I just like how she fights though. She's sort of a a female Marab Dubashvili uh, to a degree, just in terms of the pace the forward pressure that she's going to provide. Um, I just love the, the style in which she fights. I think she's getting much better. I think we both recognize that the striking improved drastically in the last fight against Andrade. I'm a bit skeptical that, you know, it improves so much, though, technically more so than it did just because Andrade was so worried about the takedowns coming. And she was just extremely open to getting hit there because she was worried about the level change. So... Uh, yeah, Blanchfield, I agree. I don't really think you can bet her here. I want to bet her here. I want to root for her. I'm going to be rooting for her, but I'm going to be rooting for her to win by decision. Fight to end by decision. Go to decision. Minus 220, my favorite bet. Billy is going to be betting Talia Santos on the money line at plus 125. I would say Santos, probably more KO upside. Blanchfield, more submission upside. But I think Santos is uh, defensive jujitsu. I would trust more than Blanchfield's chin. I suppose I think, especially if they get in a firefight, I think I give Santos more finishing upside. So yeah, definitely agree with Billy in terms of leaning to the dog here, but that'll do it for us for UFC Singapore. Hope you found some value that you want to bet throughout this card for Billy Ward. I'm Sean Zerillo. We'll be back next week for another UFC card. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.